Hello and welcome to Dear Franny, the podcast of uncommon conversations about love. I'm your host, Francesca Hoagie. Today I am interviewing the person who I've known the longest of any of my Dear Franny interview subjects. And her name is Simone, and she is the co-host of Sluts and Scholars podcast. And if you have not listened to Sluts and Scholars podcast, please be sure to check out the show notes because you should. It's educational. It is insightful. They have really, really fascinating conversations and really amazing guests. So you should be sure to check out Sluts and Scholars. But um, I have known Simone since she was a little girl and I was a very young lady. And she is a very dear family friend. So I've seen her grow up into a beautiful young woman. And she's got a lot of really interesting things to say about knowing yourself and sex and relationships and intimacy and much, much more. So please enjoy my conversation with Simone. Simone, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so exciting to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> um, even though, how long have we already been talking before we started recording? One hour and 19 minutes. <laughs> well, and, because uh, you did my human design chart. I did, and I was so excited to do it, because I was like, yep, that's Simone. <laughs> <laughs> so we've known each other for a very long time, and I have watched you grow and blossom into the beautiful, intelligent, powerful young woman <laughs> that you are, and I'm so proud of you. I want you to tell my audience about your podcast, Sluts and Scholars, and what was the inspiration for starting that podcast and how has it changed over the years? So yeah, the podcast is called Sluts and Scholars and it first started actually, it was the brainchild of my co-host and dear, dear friend Nicoletta, Nicoletta Heidegger. She is a sex therapist and sexologist. We met um, in a Facebook group just this very large Facebook group of like 20,000 like femme identifying people in LA and someone posted about this like pop-up Charles Manson art exhibit like art about Charles Manson and I posted does anybody want a carpool from the valley and she was like I do and that's how we met (laughs) what a what a mute cute I know it's so good we ended up not even carpooling together because I was coming from Beverly Hills and she was coming from the valley at that that, randomly that day but we still met up and then we had drinks and we had so much in common and she I'm convinced is going to be like the next Dr. Ruth so she and I have so much in common because she has like this a lot a lot of expertise like she's getting her PhD in human sexuality she's just incredible and we were part of this queer feminist bachelor watching group where we'd like to think we were performing deconstructions but really we were just hook line and sinker in <laughs> like literally watching the bachelor oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally watching the bachelor as like a group of like we are queer feminists <laughs> i've seen like maybe two half episodes of the bachelor ever and i just found it really depressing How do you, like, do you, I guess you enjoy it. I do. I haven't gotten so much into it now. I mean, I think what I enjoyed the most was, like, the community of watching. Like, I don't really watch it on my own. But so during one of these watchings, as I mentioned, the community is, like, one of the best parts. Nicoletta kind of came up with the idea of having a podcast. And we were, like, 
throwing around ideas and some at one point we thought it would be like just trying sex toys and we thought we would call it like the joy fuck club um (laughs) but we didn't do that and then she I think she just out of the blue came up with sluts and scholars in part definitely experienced shame or stigmatization or just like a warning like do you really want to be involved in all this sex stuff realize that we really wanted to talk about and address this dichotomy that we have as a society between being an openly sexual being and an intelligent professional competent human right like for some reason we think you're either a slut or a scholar or some equivalent thereof right and we're not sluts or scholars. We're sluts and scholars. And people are like, always, oh, which one are you? And I'm like, both. That's the point of the podcast. <laughs> That's the point of the podcast. And so I wasn't originally supposed to be a co-host. Nicoletta, was, it was her solo podcast. But because I'm good at communicating and talking about sex and relationships and just open, I was her first guest, kind of like a trial run. And then she was like, we, this, this really works. Uh, If you listen to the first episode, it really is obvious. It's called The Great Master Debaters. It's really funny. Um, And, and yeah, so we just vibed. So I continued to be her co-host. My schedule is, is a little more challenging than hers. And so she basically always does it. But sometimes I, I have to tap out, but not so often. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just been such a rewarding experience. We've been so lucky both in terms of the guests, I mean, in terms of the guests that we've been able to get that we've reached out to that either we know personally or have been connected to or just amazing guests. And then people who are like, hi, I want to be on your podcast, which is also incredible. Yes. And I, and it happens all the time because you're a projector. (laughs) (laughs) So people are inviting you in. So yes, we've been fortunate to have some incredible guests. Our first guest was Nina Hartley, who I refer to as the grand dame of pornography, <laughs> just because she's been around for so long and knows so much. But she also is an RN and like oh. also educates people on all these things. Cool. The original thrust of the podcast was people with degrees or just doing like very intellectual things in addition to like sex work or sex work adjacent Um, but then it's really blossomed into just kind of interviewing all sorts of people across the kink sexuality and professional spectrum so we've had you know some celebrities I guess you would say like Sasha Gray and Dita Von Teese and recently Amber Heard but then again we also just have people who just have really interesting kinks or relationships or aspects about their sexual lives like we have a phenomenal episode called HIV princess which is with a hiv positive millennial woman and just talking about how she's navigated that through her 20s so to me that's a really incredible episode and then just like a lot of sex education like becoming clitorate kind of reducing the idea that sex is penetration fucking love it like truly changed the way that i communicate have you interviewed ashley manta yet the canisexual Galette is quite connected to her. I'm friends with her, too. We actually went to the Blink-182 concert together a few weeks ago. She's basically, like, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast. In what way? Because, well, because I, I've been wanting to do the podcast, and I had another podcast, as you know, which you were on with Nicoletta, R- Romantical, my previous show. And I went to an event, and Ashley was on the panel, and I was like, this is exactly the kind of person I want to talk to. And this is like kind of conversations I want to have. So she was one of my first guests. And uh, yeah, I adore her. I adore her. What was the panel? Um, it was about CBD and sex. Just like sex generally? Yeah, like CBD and sex. Oh, CBD and yes. sex. I didn't hear yes, that first yes, part. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was just sex. And I was like, that's a lot for one panel. I talk about it as like a combination of irreverence and expertise, right? So Nicoletta is like straight up an expert in this. And I definitely through exposure have become 
truly able to talk about a lot of things, sex and relationships. And I think a legitimate, like socially acquired way, but also we like don't, it's not that we like don't take ourselves too seriously, but we're willing to like joke and be like, that's fucked up. Or I don't know. I crack a lot of jokes, but sometimes our guests think I'm interrupting. But there's, there's a split. There's a split. Some people love it. Yes. Well, you are you are so, even if I never found out about human design, I know you. And you are a person who is exceptionally confident in who you are and very unapologetic about who you are and how you see the world which is a really beautiful and inspiring thing to witness since I've known you since such a since you're such a little girl I think that this is just how you were born for people who kind of struggle with having the level of confidence and self-assuredness that you have what is your advice for those people it's so hard to give this sort of advice because I think the advice that you know, often comes with like how to be confident is like, just don't give a fuck what people think. (laughs) But I care immensely what people think. Like, I want everybody to like me. Like, I'm often, I'm often scared that I've said the wrong thing. But at the same time, I like say the wrong things sometimes because I'm like so confident in what I'm about to say. Kind of what we were talking about. Like, I think something and then I say it out loud. So maybe advice would be like, if you're thinking something, say it. And just like try to be okay if it's the wrong thing or people don't like you. That's something that I've been working on a lot is like, okay, this person doesn't want to be my friend. I'm going to be okay with that, which is like something that I just have to tell myself and hope that I'll eventually believe. Like I think that confidence is also just a lot of like faking it. Like if you want to be a confident person, just like act how you think confident (laughs) people feel. And then I think you'll maybe eventually get there. But also like saying like, totally unapologetic about who I am I just would like to make the caveat that I am pseudonymous on the podcast like I share very much of myself and in an unabashed way but at the same time I am aware of potential like professional repercussions from like talking as candidly as I do about sex and relationships and all that sort of stuff so just just throwing that out there I might I might seem super confident but there definitely is it's it's not like a like a totally linear oh I also think that the idea that confidence means that you don't, like you said, like you don't give a fuck what other people think. I don't know if that's necessarily confidence. I think that it's not, to be confident doesn't mean that you don't care what other people think. It's more that you have faith or confidence, for lack of a better word, and to think of a better way to describe this, that the people who are right for you are going to find you and are going to appreciate you. And the ones who aren't gonna like you and don't they're just they're just gonna fall away and you know that's life because no one is for everyone right so yeah I do agree with that that like I trust that the people who I'm supposed to be friends with or in love with or like I think you could also be like in love with your friends in like a non-romantic way like I do trust that people that I will find them but I also assume that everybody is gonna is that for me (laughs) and it's true like like this the flip the the like flip side or dark side of confidence is like really being surprised when people don't like me Mm. which is something that I'm also really working on yeah because I'm just like what do you mean I'm fucking awesome (laughs) yeah I think I think I probably feel a little surprised when people don't like me as well to be honest well I guess I know and like that's a scary thing to admit because people are like how could you be so fucking arrogant it's like I'm not arrogant I just if I met me like I like myself so if I met me I would like that person yeah and I also assume that, like, if everybody had the information that I had, they would have the same thoughts, which is, like, a whole other thing that I'm working on. <laughs> yes, because that is not true. Yeah, well, I, I guess I think, I, think, I think that when I – think, I think the reason, and you and I are both people kind of people, and we 
we're open to a lot of different kinds of people. So I think when you meet somebody and you're open and you basically kind of go into every interaction, like, oh, you might be a new friend. Like, I don't care, yeah. you know, who you are, how old you are, what your, you know, ethnicity is or your sexual orientation or anything like you just might be my new friend. And so, cause yeah, that's, true. and so when somebody is just like instantly like, no, you're like, but wait, we could be friends. You what do you mean? Exactly. It's like, you didn't even try. Like, don't you want to see if we could be friends? Yeah. 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 yeah, that's a really good that's a really good explanation of how I feel. I have a question for you about love. So on your <laughs> Okay. So, <you're laughs> so on your podcast, obviously you talk all things sex. And I wonder how much do you think about love? What what role does love play? So I think sex is like food. And I want to try everything. And so that's been an important part of my like life's journey is doing that. And it's something that I still very much want to do and enjoy that I have less time for because I'm in law school now. So that's a big part of it. But I'm also getting to the point in my life where I'm about to be 29 and I think I want to have a child and I definitely want to have a co-parent for that child. And so I am thinking more about the love part of relationships more than I have for like the last year or so. I have, I've had a lot of very profound loving relationships. I had a really wonderful high school boyfriend that was kind of on and off for five years with whom I really grew a lot and like really I think kind of understood what what love was at like a pretty young age which was really interesting and then again on and off for five years (laughs) I had another like really deep passionate loving relationship and with a man whom I whom I still love I still love kind of all of my exes Uh, maybe I'm an I mean I'm in part an emotional hoarder but also like if I loved you (laughs) for a reason yeah yeah so I had a wonderful relationship like with that and then I fell deeply deeply in love with this wonderful woman and, and she and I, I still love her. And that she's actually uh, running the New York City Marathon in a few weeks. And I'm going to go cheer her on with her new girlfriend. So I'm really excited about that. But now, like, what role is love playing? I, I, I'm not closed off to it. Like, I had a really wonderful, loving relationship when I first came to New York. But it's not something that I've been focusing on, I think, for 2019. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. Yeah. I'm open to it. But I don't know. Like, kind of all my relationships have sort of fallen into my lap. Like just people that I've met randomly and I'm still meeting people randomly. It's just that I don't pick so much when I like meet somebody that I'm interested in. Well, I guess you're not like, okay, I'm ready to meet one person and or be with them for the rest of my life. Do you want that? Do you think you want that? Do you you want your your parents? Obviously, your parents have that. Your parents, your parents love each other. I've known each other since they were like in third grade. Yeah. And I know. I do want a life partner, a life companion, someone to co-parent a child with. What the structure of that relationship will be, I think I'm open to, like, variations on the theme of life partnership. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, do you, can you imagine monogamy for the rest of your life? I can imagine romantic monogamy. Okay. But sec- how about sexual monogamy? I don't think I can imagine sexual monogamy, though I might change. Like, that's the thing is my opinions change regularly like sexuality is really fluid both in terms of like who you're attracted to and what kind of activities you want to do and also how much you know difference you crave and how much it needs to be from another person versus just trying something new with your partner 
so that's a huge thing and so I don't know what that partner who that partner is going to be and what they're going to look like sexually and so I think I want a partner who is open to recognizing that and having conversations about that and whether that means going to do something with another person or people (laughs) (laughs) versus trying something new with them I think is important so I'm definitely interested in like the possibility of sexual non-monogamy but something I could I do not want is romantic uh, polyamory Mm -hmm. like romantic monogamy is really important to me and that I very much want a life partner who I can count on and who is there for me and the idea of having a partner who also has another partner and like imagining the hypothetical where like both of us have something extremely serious and traumatic happen to like have to have my partner choose who they're gonna support and have it potentially not be me is just horrifying and I, I could not do that when I think about polyamory, when I talk to people about polyamory, I'm just like, this just sounds so exhausting. <laughs> like, I just I, I just don't have the bandwidth to emotionally invest intimacy with more than one person. It's just not. But some people really do. And like hunger for more when they when it's not just with one person and I think that's really beautiful I think the skills that you acquire through communication with like ethical non-monogamy it's incredible but yeah for me it would probably be more sexual than anything else yeah so I interviewed Dr. Chris Donahue recently I was asking him if he thought that monogamy was over like if monogamy was becoming you know an outdated concept like is it gonna go away and he was like absolutely like he he felt very strongly like monogamy is like not it's not gonna it's not gonna make it (laughs) I think that's I think that's silly I think that's drawing assumptions about what people want I think even if you think about it in I mean I'm not saying that like monogamy and uh, polyamory is necessarily like a form of sexuality or sexual attraction or romantic attraction necessarily. Like heterosexuality like was the norm. Like people did not express their homosexuality either at all or like in healthy ways for the longest time, right? And I think you can draw an analogy to like people did not express their desire for being unable, unwilling, unsatisfied by having like a singular partner and now it's becoming more normalized so people are allowed to do that but the same way that like it's okay to be gay it's also okay to be polyam but that doesn't mean that everybody else is so I don't think Mm -hmm. I think some people I think some people really do want a singular person I do I do both romantically and sexually you know and so I don't think I don't think it's gonna disappear I think the norm of it might Mm -hmm. but I don't think the the behavior of it will yeah I don't think so either. I was really surprised that he, and he was like, yeah, he was like, he's like, yeah, I love, you know, I love prognosticating and yes, like that's my prediction. (laughs) But he also thinks that nudity is inherently sexual, which I think is also a really weird broad generalization. Mm. No, we didn't. didn't I mean, we had this conversation. We didn't get into that with, I didn't get, yeah, that's interesting. That's like a whole other conversation. That is a whole other conversation. No, that is interesting that he thinks that. Yeah. He probably hasn't had his body eroticized unwillingly. Mm, mm -hmm. And like I think as women we have, especially like me starting at a very young age because, you know, I grew breasts very young. I have constantly been like my body has been objectified and eroticized. And so it can be really liberating to be nude and not sexually and not have my body available for for sexual thoughts and motivations and and like 
the ability to tell me about it. Yeah. Fuck that. You know, it's so interesting. I was, I've been thinking about this recently because, you know, I gained a bunch of weight over the last, you know, few years and then I lost a bunch of weight this year. And so I'm having like a new, uh, I'm being reacquainted with an old relationship that I had with my body. (laughs) That's so interesting. (laughs) Which is a relationship that I had for most of my life. But then, and I feel almost like, and I wonder if you feel this way too. And I think probably a lot of women feel this way, which is like when I walk into a room, I feel like there's me and then there's my body. I feel like I can almost feel energetically like the way that I'm being perceived is, okay, who is she? But also like they're looking at my body. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to describe, but... Um, no, I kind of get it. I guess I don't pick up on that. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I don't pick up with it because I'm very connected to my body. And so when I enter a room... Also, I have like this weird opposite of like body dysmorphia where I think I'm like the hottest shit in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like super weird. Like it's super fucking weird. It's amazing. Like the same way that I was talking about earlier. Like, you know, why doesn't someone want to be my friend? It's like, why wouldn't someone think I'm like the hottest, most fuckable shit around? (laughs) I know. I know. I know. It's so weird. So like I'm kind of like, oh, people are not evaluating my body because like I'm so hot. Well, I guess even, I don't know, even, um, you know, Roxanne Gay, who's somebody that I follow, like, Love you know, like, I know she's amazing. And she, like, she tweeted recently, um, and, you know, she's so, obviously, she talks so much about, you know, her body and what life is like in the body of a fat black woman and all of that. And, um, but she, you know, she's been losing weight and, you know, she had surgery and, you know, bariatric surgery and whatever. And uh, she tweeted recently that, people have she's noticed that people are friendlier to her you know and she's like and I'm still fat like for thin people you're like your life just must be like all sunshine and rainbows like people being so nice to you and I guess I think maybe that's what I'm picking up on it's almost like people are sort of evaluating you a little bit and I think this is something that most men probably cannot relate to which is they're kind of like evaluating you of like oh like how do I characterize you like based on your body so it's you know what I mean like I think people make assumptions like am I putting you in the you're someone that I will have a conversation with or you're someone that I'll fuck yeah is that what you mean yeah almost like that like am I like it's like okay are you you know is your body acceptable to me is your body attractive to me and then it's like a split second judgment of like this is the bucket I'm putting you in like okay yeah Yeah. I want to talk to you or like oh yeah I want to flirt with you or oh yeah I want to you know I don't know it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe but no, I get it. I, I don't experience that as much, but it could just be that I'm not. You just assume that everybody wants you, so you, that's Well, I assume that everybody wants to have both a conversation and sex with yeah. you. <laughs> okay, I'm like 30% joking. Like, I know objectively that's in it. That's like a really, really out there thought. Like, I know objectively, like, that's weird and untrue, and I can tell myself that that is like a ridiculous belief, and then I'm like... Yeah, but it doesn't really apply. <laughs> well, listen, this is the thing about belief. And I'm I'm like the biggest, I'm the biggest believer in the power of belief. Like, because what we believe about ourselves, like we will make that true, right? And so 
we will find a way to make that true, even if it's only through our perception, which is why it's so surprising to you every once in a while when somebody doesn't like you because you're like, what? It's so out of alignment with your belief about yourself. Um, so it's like, dis- it's destabilizing. <laughs> yeah. But but in general, I think you probably have this really amazing ability to just sort in your perception, like in your field of perception. So you are only really paying attention to the people who are validating that thing about you. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we all do, right? Like, yeah. you know, like people who have the opposite, like people who think, no one likes me or no one's attracted to me. Like they do a really good job of making that true in their experience because Mm. that's where they're, it's the filter through which they're processing all the information that they're receiving in any given situation. That's hard. It is hard. It is hard. So I think, so in terms of, you know, how you view yourself, I wouldn't judge it if I were you, if it works for you, then just embrace it. Be like, yeah, Hey, the longer you feel that way, then the more your life experiences are going to validate that belief. So yeah. I think we should all look that at... That makes a lot of sense. I think we should all look at what we believe and just like the things that we believe that serve us, that we're like, yeah, I want this to be true. Like, great. <laughs> like, double down on that. And the things that we believe that don't serve us, that we don't... About ourselves, that is, right? That don't serve us. Those are the things we need to work on changing those beliefs so we can yeah but that's so fucking hard like i know we say that but like it is so hard to change beliefs it's hard but it's doable it happens all the time yeah we don't don't always believe the same things that i mean sometimes it happens organically right like well i think that organic shift is is normal and happens to some people but a conscious shift seems really fucking hard i think well i always start with just considering the possibility that what you believe isn't true because but like if you are so sure that you are unlovable and unattractive and unintelligent like that you can't even and I'm not criticizing the idea that like you can change your beliefs I'm just you know kind of this whole like nobody's gonna love you until you love yourself kind of thing that we have in our society Mm -hmm. where like it is really fucking hard to love yourself (laughs) yes and that's coming from someone who loves herself and I know that for me, it's like relatively easy, mm-hmm. but because I know that about myself, I've actually had a lot of conversations with people about this. And like, sometimes you need someone to love you and, and for you to love yourself, to recognize that you're truly lovable. Like, yeah. Well, we have to look for that evidence. So this is what happens. So like, if you are a person who's like, I just, I just don't love myself. I just don't believe that's possible for me. Then your work right now is just to get to the place where you can believe that it's possible. Like, that's it. Just that it's possible, not that it's true, just that it's possible. And it is helpful to say, well, okay, there's this person who loves me. There is this person who loved me. I think maybe this person was trying to love me, right? Like, Mm. you know, like, so just, you, you do need, we need each other as humans, right? Like the fact that we are born so helpless and that we need other humans to look after us for years and years, otherwise we will die. (laughs) like it's so stupid it's either stupid or it just means that we are designed to be in communities and to be in Mm. relationships right like with other humans like that's just what that means so it's meaningful to have to have that outside validation we all if like if a kid grows up and nobody ever tells them that they're lovable or they're worthy there yes that person is going to grow up and have a really hard time even seeing that possibility 
And that's so unfair that people have that upbringing, but unfortunately some people do. So yes, it's that is their work. Their work is to just believe that it's possible for them. And because once you start to believe it's possible, then even if it's just like a tiny possibility, it just creates enough of a crack that then you can start to like let some other information and some other possibility come in. Just getting to that place, it you know, can take years and years, but it's possible. It is. We can change what we believe about ourselves. We can. So I don't know. I always start in my whole, you know, self-love formula. I always start with self-compassion because, yeah, you know, don't try to go. That's huge. That, don't try to go to like, yes, I'm amazing and everybody loves me. And I like, no, no, no. Like that's too, <laughs> that's too big of a leap. Just start with like, okay, this is hard for me. I don't love myself or I think I'm, you know, whatever. I think I'm a piece of shit or I think no one's ever going to love me or I think I'm dumb. Yeah. Or So you just have compassion for yourself, even for the fact that you think that. And for some people, that process, that's where they are right now. And that's the work, just to give yourself a break. So No, that's true. I think giving yourself a break is good. But sometimes also people, not to like shit all over this idea, right? But (laughs) sometimes people, it's hard for people to even recognize like the feelings that they have. Like I definitely think a lot of people who feel boundaries have not been respected in their lives. And I'm thinking in terms of, you know, like sexual assault and abuse generally, if your boundaries have not been respected, then it's really hard to think that your boundaries are worthy of ex- of respect totally. or even to figure out what your boundaries are. Totally. So just pointing that out to you. But I think they're all different beliefs. And I think potentially they're all changeable with like self-work and like a huge supporter of therapy. Like I think everybody should be in therapy just for therapy's sake. And sometimes it like really does require external help. But I guess in that sense, it is possible to, if not completely change, to at least like understand where they come from and to realize, like have this objective realization that I have, you know, about how like, no, not everybody thinks I'm like the hottest shit in the world. Like knowing at least objectively (laughs) that it's not true, even though I can't necessarily like fully incorporate it into my like heart brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like what I was saying to you before we started recording, like it's your feelings are valid, but your feelings aren't facts. So if you might feel like you're totally unlovable, but if you can just consider the possibility that even though I feel this way really strongly and I have a lot of quote unquote evidence in my life to support that feeling, maybe it's not true. Maybe it doesn't have to be true. Maybe it won't always be true. Um, yeah. And I think also, especially for people who've, who've experienced a lot of trauma, you know, sexual assault or otherwise, who've had very um, traumatic upbringings, who were not given the love and not given the security that they needed, that we all need, it's important for those people to find role models of other people who have overcome those situations and found a way to love themselves. Because that's another mm. way for you to start to believe it's possible by seeing all of the people who have been through similar situations and have found their way out of that darkness. So Yeah, and so it's not even like overcoming. It's like getting through. Yeah. And healing and healing. Like and healing and finding a way to love yourself despite all of this all of these things that have happened and all of these you know that happened to you very unfairly Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know despite the limitations of the people in your life who weren't able to keep you safe and weren't able to give you that love i mean that's the thing that's amazing about humans is like our ability to transcend our circumstances like i mean it really is like (laughs) pretty extraordinary and 
So for people to seek out those role models and those examples, just to get a little inspiration, just to get to that place of believing that it's possible, that is, that's really powerful. And also, I mean, I think I I agree with you that, you know, we are resilient and adaptable and all that stuff. But I also think it doesn't come from like the individual self necessarily of like having to overcome, having to see, having to process. I think there's also like a lot of value in community-based support and like recognize it. So not like what you're saying about seeking out a role model, absolutely. But also if you are a role model, like making yourself visible because it is so hard sometimes to find those people absolutely and so like this community awareness of of how we all shape each other and change ideally for the better is like so important too like in america we have this such like individualist perspective like pulling yourself up for by your bootstraps but like if you don't have any fucking boots like what do you do you know and so just recognizing that like even socioeconomically sure it's really fucking hard but also like emotionally and psychologically Well, and that's why people who have the gift of being very, um, of having a lot of certainty, of having a lot of confidence, of having a real ability to, you know, transcend the bullshit that so many of us are, you know, conditioned to believe, those people, the more that they can be visible and the more that they can speak their truth, the more they can start to show other people what's possible because we all need that. You know, we all, mm. we all need that experience. So, you know, so for anybody, if you're a person, if you're a person that has done that, make yourself visible. Exactly. Make yourself visible. People need to hear your story. That's, you know, that's why story is so powerful. Right. Um, mm. Which can be really fucking scary. Totally acknowledging. Totally, that. totally, totally, totally. Um, okay. Simone, I have one more question for you. So this is a question that I ask most of my guests, and it is, if you had a bullhorn or a megaphone that was loud enough for the whole world to hear, and you could send out one message about love, what would that message be? See, before you said love, I was going to be like, abortion is a human right. (laughs) Um, But now it has to be about love. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what what do I even think about love? Just say it. You have to, you're going to have to speak it to know your truth. You are deserving of it. There you go. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You are deserving of love. Yes. See, you say it and then you know it's true, right? How many people, I feel like that's a pretty common thing though. What, to to not know your truth until you speak it out No, to say you are deserving of love as your bullhorn thing. I don't know if anyone has said exactly that. So, but even, it doesn't matter, even if they had, it's still a really powerful message and it's your truth. So that's what would what, yours be? It would be similar. It would be like love is a human right. That's what I would say. I'm talking about love in general. I actually believe that everyone, everyone, literally everyone, it's, it's possible for everyone to have even romantic love. I mean, yeah, it's possible. Now, obviously there are a lot of... But a human right means there's a way to make sure it happens. There's a lot of barriers to that, you know, that, that... But I do believe that it's possible like to, to transcend those barriers for everyone. Love, just love. Like forget about romantic love. Just love, mm-hmm. just someone seeing you for who you are, appreciating you for who you are. That is a human right. And if you think about yeah. like a newborn baby, what does that child have to do to be deserving of love? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. And so... Be here. Exactly. And so we're all here. 
we all exist. And so we're all deserving of love. So I believe that love is a human right because it's just, it's fundamental. It's who we are. What about like Attila the Hun? Even Attila the Hun. Hey, listen, maybe <laughs> if Attila the Hun had been loved properly, would Attila mm. the Hun have become Attila the Hun? He but he might Very have come. Good question, friend. He, he might have been. He might have come become Attila the Honey Bun. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I love a good word. <laughs> he might have just been like, who knows? I'm like bopping because that was so good. <laughs> That's the kind of joke I love. All right. Well, speaking of love, I love you. I love you. And um, I think everything you're doing is so amazing. Thank you for for being so like safe and loving and understanding. I think that's a real power you have. Oh, thank you. And I think you have that same power. So I appreciate mm. you so much. I just adore <laughs> you. I'm so happy to be looking at your face right now. <laughs> you're thousands of miles away. Come back to me. Come back to California miss you uh yeah i will soon and and if you want to stay up to date on everything i'm doing with nicoletta do. at sluts and scholars um you can follow us on instagram at sluts and scholars on twitter we're sluts scholars check us out like wherever you get your podcasts like we're on spotify and apple pod like basically anywhere everywhere everyone check that out okay honey i love you i can't wait to share this okay i love you too okay. Bye, Franny. <laughs> and there you have it, my interview with Simone. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to check out the show notes for links to Sluts and Scholars podcast and links to my social media. I'm at Dear Franny on Instagram and Facebook and at Dear Franny Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And I'd love to hear from you. I appreciate you so much for listening. I thank you so much for those of you who have taken the time to subscribe and to rate and review the show and if you have not done that yet please do if you are enjoying the show I would really appreciate that it definitely does help for people to discover the podcast so thank you that's my usual pitch and um, I'm grateful for you even if you're not rating and reviewing even if you're listening I still appreciate you Um, I don't take for granted that your time is precious and wherever you are in the world I thank you for listening have a beautiful day